Good morning, Southview. Thank you for being here this Palm Sunday. We're so glad you're here. And here are your three big announcements for this week. Be sure to join us for our Easter weekend celebration. We'll kick it off with a night of worship, Friday, April 7th at 7 p.m., right here in the sanctuary. Then on Saturday, April 8th, beginning at 3 p.m., we'll have our annual picnic on the grounds. If you plan on attending, please text the word PICNIC to 910-424-1298. This just gives us an accurate headcount for food purposes. Then we'll finish our weekend celebration with our Sunday worship services right here in the sanctuary, both at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. You won't want to miss this chance to celebrate our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. If you're interested in being a part of our Vacation Bible School the week of June 5th, text the word VBS to 910-424-1298. There are multiple opportunities to serve, and you're not going to want to miss this amazing week. Hey men, did you know that the men's retreat for 2023 registration is now open? Last year's was so amazing. The cost is $175 for adult men, $110 for boys, and there is a $50 registration fee due at the time of sign up. If you plan on attending, text the word retreat to 910-424-1298. Hey everyone, we encourage you to download the Southview Baptist Church app. You can find it at Google Play or iTunes. This allows you to see all of the announcements, sign up for events, even join a journey group. You can listen to previous sermons. You can even download the notes for today's sermon. There are multiple ways that you can give here at Southview Baptist. One is through the app. The other one is in either of the giving boxes at the side doors as you exit the sanctuary. If you're a guest visiting with us today, thank you. We are so glad that you're here. We'd love to connect with you. If you'll text the word CONNECT to 910-424-1298. This is how we can begin to get to know you, pray for you, and see specific ways that we might be able to minister to you. Thank you again for being with us today. We pray you are blessed by the service. Good morning, church. Stand and let's worship together. Our God is mighty. He is worthy of our praise. Come on. the God who was, we worship the God who is, we worship the God who evermore will be, 
opened the prison doors. He parted the raging sea. My God, He holds a victory. There's joy in the house of the Lord. There's joy in the house of the Lord today. We won't be quiet. We shout out Your praise. There's joy in the house of the Lord. Our God is surely in this place. so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believes in him should not perish 
but have eternal life. And because these things are true, we can say with the psalmist, I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name. Again, he says, forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. We serve a God, church, who has called us to something higher than ourselves. That we sing these songs and we pray these prayers, not because we want something, but because of what's been done for us in Christ Jesus and who he is. And my prayer for your heart and for my heart today, whether you've walked with God for 40 years or whether you've never heard the gospel until today, that you would be turned closer to him and the Holy Spirit would give your heart and my heart light to say, I see, I see the greatness of our God. I see your majesty, and I simply want to worship you. That's the goal here today, is to worship our Lord and our Savior and just stand in awe of his greatness. So let's continue to sing.
be seated. Amen. Jesus, we just thank you that you are great and glorious in every way. I pray, Jesus, for us now as we just spend time in your word, Lord God, that you just make yourself so real and alive to us that we'll just see you in your glory and be forever changed by you. Thank you, Jesus. We love you. We pray this in your name. Amen. Oh, hey, if you have a Bible, let's find Colossians chapter 3. But as you're finding that, um, one quick thing by way of announcement. Next Sunday is Easter weekend. So excited. We've got a lot of great things uh, planned. So it's going to begin on Friday evening, Good Friday at 7 o'clock, right in here. Come be a part as we worship together. Have a night of worship, Good Friday night, 7 o'clock. Then on Saturday uh, at 3 o'clock, we're going to be back here having a church-wide picnic. A chance just to hang out, spend time together. Easter egg hunt for the kids, cornhole tournaments, uh, all the kind of fun stuff. So we're going to have a great time. Come be a part of that. If you have not signed up yet, please do so. You can do that in two ways. One, you can text the word PICNIC to 910-424-1298 and sign up. Or second, you can just shoot the QR code. We've got them around the church. You can just uh, tap on that. Got it up here. As a matter of fact, you can do it right now. Uh, just... Uh, shoot the QR code. It'll help you sign up. Uh, tell us who's going to be there. It'll help you sign up for serving. Um, and uh, then also it will give you an outline of what the schedule on Saturday is going to be, when we're going to do everything, so you know what's going on. You don't miss anything. Uh, so sign up for that. Come. Also, as you come, you're going to want to bring a lawn chair for you to sit in. And then if you can, if you're available, you're welcome to bring a dessert for your family to kind of share. Uh, we would love that. That'll be Saturday. And then Sunday, we're right back here, Easter Sunday, 9.30 and 11, worshiping together. going to be a packed house. You're going to want to be here early. Bring a friend with you. It's going to be fantastic. That is all upcoming this weekend. Don't forget uh, that. It's going to be an amazing time. All right. So Colossians chapter 3. We are in a series we're calling Jesus is Greater Than Everything. It's a series through the book of Colossians. And what we're seeing in the book of Colossians is quite literally that Jesus is colossal. Jesus is glorious and amazing and beautiful in, in every single way. And as you see how Jesus, who Jesus is, he changes you. So as you see the book of Colossians, we said that it breaks down in the middle. Chapters 1 and 2 and chapters 3 and 4, they kind of have a separation. Chapters 1 and 2 are largely theological in nature. Chapters 1 and 2 of Colossians are explaining to you who Jesus is. He is your creator, your sustainer, your redeemer. He is the one who died in your place for your sin to, to deliver you out of the domain of darkness and place you in to the kingdom of light. He is the one who gave his life for you so that he can then give his life to you and you can be risen to new life in him and live out his life through um, you, right? So this is who Jesus is in chapters 1 and 2. Then it changes gears in chapters 3 and 4 are largely practical in nature. Okay, you see who Jesus is, that's great. Now, how does that change your life? How do you live out this Christian life? So we began last week in chapter 3, verses 1 through 4, and I want to kind of, I want to read those again to you to get a recap again of What's the foundation for us to live out this Christian life? So Colossians 3, verse 1. 
If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. I told you last week there are two words I want you to focus on. In verse 1, seek, and in verse 2, set. And the idea is that as you look to Jesus, you become more like Jesus. I told you last week it's the illustration of driving a car, right? That as wherever you look, that's where you're going to drift. Same thing spiritually. Wherever you're looking is where you're going to drift. So uh, let me give you just a rundown of how this works for me in my life, okay? Here's what I've noticed in my Christian walk. The more I think about my sin, the more I sin. The more I think about the sin that I'm struggling with, the more I keep doing the sin that I struggle with. However, the more I think about Jesus, the less I sin. Right? It's a matter of focus. If you focus on your sin, you drift towards the sin. It's just the way it works. However, if you focus on Jesus, you drift to Jesus. The more I seek to see Jesus, the more I fall in love with Jesus, the more I live a life that brings glory and honor to Jesus. It's about focus, where you're looking. So last week we saw in verses 5 through 11 that as we seek Jesus and as we pursue Jesus, as we set our focus on Jesus, there are indeed some things that we're called to put to death, some things in our life that should not be there anymore. So the more we look to Jesus, the more we live like Jesus, the more things in us that are earthly are going to be pushed away. We're going to put them to death. We're going to cast them off. Now, today in verses 12 through 17, we're going to see that also there are things that we're called to put on. Christianity is not just about not doing things. Christianity is about how we are called to live. Right? It's not just don't do the bad things. It's also, but do this, live in this way. All right? So let's pick it up in verse 12. And let's see what it is we are called to put on. Colossians 3, 12. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Okay, so here's what we're going to do. If you're new here, let me kind of explain how we do things. We typically go through books of the Bible. Uh, and so on a Sunday morning, we come up here and just sort of read a little bit and talk a little bit and read a little bit and talk a little bit and work our way through the Scriptures and see what God says to us. So we're going to do the same thing here. So as we go through Colossians 3, 12 through 17, I'm going to give you three big headings, right? Three big things to kind of think through as you're fleshing out what God's Word is telling us, all right? So number one is this. Being saved by Jesus means that you will also be changed by Jesus. Okay? Being saved means you will be changed. And the only way you're going to be changed is if you are saved. Does this make sense? Right? Being saved by Christ means that you will be changed by Christ. 
So look at verse 12. Let's see just the first half of verse 12. You'll see this. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. All right, just stop just for a moment. So what he's doing there in this little phrase is, first thing is, he's explaining who you are as a Christian. Chosen by God, holy and beloved. He's explaining what it means to be a Christian, who you are as a Christian. You are chosen by God. Now, I know in a lot of church circles, this idea of being chosen or elected causes a lot of consternation. So let me just calm your hearts and explain. When it says there in verse 12 that you are chosen by God, what it, the only thing it means is you are chosen by God. Great, next verse. Now that we understand. So, even when, even when you were dirty and depraved and wicked and vile, God chose you. You want God to be an electing God because what that means is he is that good. If it had anything to do with you being slightly awesome, it's no longer grace. God in his unbelievable, unmerited, undeserved grace, said, I want you to be my child. That's amazing. And then when he makes us his child, when he adopts us and chooses us, it says he makes us holy. God made you perfect and right in his sight. And he calls you beloved. You are dearly and deeply loved by God. And here's the idea. Because that's who you are, chosen by God, loved by God, made righteous by God. Because that's true of you, you are to now do something. What does it say in verse 12? Put on. There are things that you are called to do. That word put on is a verb. It's, it's, it's in the aorist uh, tense. What it means is this is an action that you are expected and commanded to do right now and immediately. Right? Don't wait we tell our kids, delayed obedience is still disobedience. Right? I meant to do it later does not count. Same thing with you and God. This is not something he's calling you to put on later, where I'll get around to it, or I know that I should, or hang on, let me do this first. Put on. Do this. When you see who you are as a follower of Christ, when you see who you are as chosen and made righteous and loved by God, you now are called and desire and pursue to do something. You put on. You wrap yourself. This idea of putting on is this idea of you wrap yourself in the life of Jesus to such an extreme ex extent that literally you begin to think and live and talk and act like Jesus. You wrap yourself in him so that you are now living out his life. As, as I was thinking about this idea this week, the, the, the thought, the, the, sort of the illustration that came to my mind was steak. So I love steak. Um, and, and so now we as a church, let you know, we believe in church discipline. What that means is this. If you eat your steak well done, or if you grill a steak in such a way, you have to put sauce on it to make it taste good. We will kick you out. All right? That's just the way that works. That's just for the, for the good of your own soul. All right? We will, we will just be forced because we love you. 
But when you think about grilling a steak, what do you do? The important thing for a steak, it's the prep, right? It's the marinade, right? And so everyone has the kind of marinade they love, right? So you put a steak and you marinate, right? You, 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 you put it in this, this marinade, this juice. You put all the stuff in it. Then you wrap it up and you put it back in the refrigerator, all right? This illustration worked better at the 930 because we just finished breakfast. You weren't hungry. But anyway, you put it back in the fridge and you leave it. And the idea is this. The longer that steak sits in the marinade, the more it begins to take up the taste and flavor of the marinade, right? And so when you take it out and you grill it, it's not just going to taste like just some random bland hunk of meat. It's going to take the flavor and taste of what you've been soaking it up in. This is the way it works with us in Christ, this idea of putting on Jesus. Because we see who we are in Christ, We now wrap ourselves in the life of Christ. We soak ourselves in Christ. We marinate ourselves in Christ. We sit and we wait and we stew in Jesus and who Jesus is and his forgiveness of me and his love for me and his life in me and and how I'm now living his life out through me. You soak up in that to the point when this world takes a bite out of you, you taste like Jesus. You, the world is going to take a bite out of you. Right? That's going to happen. Jesus said, in this world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. This world is going to take a bite out of you. But the point is, you've wrapped yourself up in Jesus to such an extent that when it does, you just taste like Jesus. Because you have put on Christ. You cannot accidentally grow in holiness. You do not accidentally grow in godliness. You don't accidentally grow in Christ-likeness, accidentally grow in spiritual maturity. You must actively put it on. How are you going to grow as a Christian? This is what Colossians 3 is trying to help us understand. Step one is this. You have to actively seek it. If you've, been, if you've been saved, then you will be changed. And the only way you're going to be changed is if you actively put on what Christ gave you through his death, burial, and resurrection. It is yours in him. Wear it. Put it on. Wrap yourself in the life and love and power of Jesus. That's who you are. Step one, you have to pursue it. You have to seek it. You have to put it on. You can't just show up and float. If you just float, you will float to this world and not to Christ. You'll never float to Christ. You never drift towards Christ. You always drift away from Him. The only way you get closer to Christ is if you actively seek Him. Which is why verse 12 starts out by saying you have to actively put it on. You have to actively put it on. So what are we being told to put on? That's going to be the second thing I want you to see. What are we told to put on? The primary way this changed life manifests in us is in how we treat and interact with other people. The primary way this is going to be worked out in you is through other people. I have good news and I have bad news. The good news is God has a very clear, prescribed way to grow you in the faith. The bad news is it involves difficult people. The primary way God is going to grow you in the faith is by putting you in situations, with difficult situations, 
with perhaps difficult people. Not the people that you love and love you and are awesome and it's easy to hang out with. Those people do not grow you in the faith. The people who really grow you in the faith are the ones you're going to need what the Scripture tells you. So let's look at it. Colossians 3, verse 12. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. What are we told to put on here? Compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. We get this idea that the Christian life is individual and private, right? I have a personal walk with the Lord. I grow in the Lord for my personal private time with Him. And yes, absolutely, yes and amen, it's very important. But the proof and evidence and fruit that that private time actually accomplished something is when you leave your prayer closet, you walk out into the world, and you actually love people. If you don't walk out in the world and treat people different, that prayer closet was a waste of time you should have just slept in. It did nothing. If it does not affect the way you interact with other people, it is not genuinely of God. One of the ways that you're going to grow in your faith is how you interact with people. So look at what he says. Let's look at these words. One of the things that he says we're going to have is compassionate hearts. What is a compassionate heart? So the word compassionate heart means to 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 feel deep mercy towards someone. Uh, the idea is, this is deeper than just bless your heart. This means you, deep inside, actually, legitimately care about this person. You're not just focused on the thing that they did to you. You care about them so much. You don't care so much about the thing they did. You love them so much, you care about what's wrong in them to make them do that. Like you care about them, not the act. We focus so much on the thing, that person said a mean thing to me. Well, do you care about them as a person? If so, you should be praying about why they said that. What's in their heart to make that come out? Do you care about them? It's a compassionate heart. Deep inside, you care about the person way more than the thing that happened. Um, Next, compassionate heart's kindness. So the word kindness literally means just to to do what's right. In other words, you don't respond to someone in the way that in your flesh you would want to. You respond in the way that in Christ God empowers you to. You respond kindly. Not in the flesh, not in what wells up out of you in your fallen nature. But in Christ, you respond with kindness, with goodness, with godliness. After kindness, it says humility. The word humility means to think low of yourself. That does not mean that you think bad of yourself. When it says to think low of yourself, what it means is that you have a list of priorities in your mind you're thinking about, and you rank very low on your own list. That's the point. Humility is there's a list of people and situations and things I care about, and for me, I'm at the bottom of my own list. I care about you more than I care about me. That's humility. I'm humbling myself. I'm putting myself down on my own list. 
And I'm just concerned first and foremost for you. Humility. Meekness. The word meekness means strength under control. It's different than weakness. Meekness and weakness aren't the same thing. Weakness is you have no power or authority to do a thing. You can't bring judgment. You can't bring punishment. You can't bring any pain or, or recompense against an individual. You're weak. You can't do it if you wanted to. Meekness is different. Meekness is you have the strength to do it. You have the ability to do it. You have the opportunity to do it. And you choose not to. You've, choose, you, you've chosen to be meek. Strength under control. It's the same word that would be used for a bit and a horse's mouth, right? You have this massive horse with this little tiny jockey, right? Think about the Kentucky Derby. These little tiny jockeys on top of these massive horses. How are they able to control that horse? Strength under control, the bit in the mouth. Strength under control. That's the way it's describing you. Strength under control. Meekness. What next? Patience. Patience means to sit up under something and wait for God to deliver you. You don't, you're up under something. You don't take it upon yourself to dig out a tunnel. You wait for God. You trust God. Patience, bearing with one another. To bear with one another means to hold one another up. I'm not just worried about me. I'm not just trying to lift myself up. I'm lifting you up. And if I'm lifting you up and you're lifting me up and we're lifting him up and we're all lifting her up, guess what happens? Everybody gets lifted up. We're bearing up one another. Then, if anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. So the first phrase there says, if anyone has a complaint. The word complaint means a quarrel or strife. The idea is this. Listen to me very carefully. There's a legitimate sin that's been committed against you. It's not make-believe. It's not fantasy. You're not taking a small thing and blowing it out of proportion. Everyone's looking at you going, why are you freaking out about that? It's not that big of a deal. We're not talking about that. There's a legitimate complaint. A legitimate sin that you have, a legitimate complaint that you have against an individual, a legitimate quarrel. They did this thing to me. We tracking? What does it say to do? Forgive. But it doesn't stop there. Here's why. God in his brilliant wisdom knew what is the one thing that we have done in our society. We have radically redefined the word forgive. We have radically redefined it to basically mean you don't have to forgive. So God in his wisdom defined it for us. If anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving them, as the Lord has forgiven you, you must also forgive one another. So he defines it for us and gives a command. How have I forgiven you? That is how you must forgive one another. So let's unpack that just for a moment. In order for us to obey this, we've got to to do some work in thinking through how God has forgiven us. So let's think. What's the difference between how God forgives and how often we forgive? So just, I'm going to walk through some ideas, think through these things, and see what the Lord may say to you. So, How are we to forgive? 
How does God forgive? God holds back his anger and is patient for a very long time when we sin against him. We often blow up in anger the second we think we are sinned against. God reaches out to bad people to bring forgiveness to them. We often refuse to offer forgiveness if we think the person who sinned against us is bad. God makes the first move towards us in forgiveness. We only offer forgiveness if the offending person makes the first move. God forgives often knowing that we will sin again, sometimes in the exact same way. We often forgive only if we are certain the person will never do the wrong again. So, when you think about that, have you ever sinned against God, asked Him to forgive you, and then turned around and did the same thing all over again? The answer for all of us is yes. Yes, you have, and yes, I have. Every one of us has sinned against God. Every one of us has had a moment where we went to God and said, I am truly sorry, forgive me, I don't want to ever do that again. And then, doggone it, you did it again. And then what did God do? He still forgave you. How many times have we thought or we'd heard other believers say things like, I can't ever forgive them because I know they're just going to do it again and I'm not going to be a doormat. Uh Uh-uh. God would never, God would never, by the way, there's a commandment against that, taking God's name in vain. God would never want me to do that. Really? Because, funny enough, that is exactly the way that he forgives you all the time. And you're commanded by him to forgive like that. Uh, What else? A couple other ideas. God's forgiveness is so complete and glorious that he grants adoption to those former offenders. For us, even when forgiveness is offered, we often want nothing more to do with the person who sinned against us. Stop me if you've heard this one before. I'll forgive them, but I will never, fill in the blank, forgive. Can I submit something to you? If that's your heart, to forgive but never forget, I would submit, not only have you not forgotten, you haven't really forgiven. God's forgiveness of you is so complete that he welcomes you in in full adoption not holding your sin against you any longer. We say the words I forgive, but I'm never going to forget how you hurt me. Explain to me how that's forgiving like God forgave you. Walk me through that. And I know there's going to be someone that's going to say, well, God doesn't forget anything, right? So technically, God still remembers, so I can too. Listen, if you think sovereign God remembering all things and you holding that person at account for what they did is the same thing, you're delusional. You are delusional. 
They are not the same thing. You have been lied to by Satan and you have bought it hook, line, and sinker. It is not forgiveness. It is not forgiving the way he forgave you. What else? I, have, I haven't made everybody mad yet, so let's keep going. God bore all the penalty for the wrong we did against him. We often refuse to forgive unless the person agrees to bear all the penalty for the wrong they did to us. Not only did God forgive you, he took on all the penalty that was rightfully deserved for you. Oftentimes when we forgive, we say, okay, I'm going to forgive, but they are going to be punished for this. They are going to be held in account for this. They are going to experience what they need to experience for this. They have got to know that that was wrong. Is that how God forgave you? Is it? God forgave you and said, but I'm going to need for you to still take some of the punishment. It's not the way it worked. God keeps reaching out to man for reconciliation, even when man refuses him again and again. We often will not continue to offer forgiveness and reconciliation if it's rejected just once. Well, I mean, I went to them and offered it, and they didn't accept it, so I'm done. Quick question. How many of you are glad the first time God came to you and convicted you of your sin and you hardened your heart and said, no, I'm not ready to turn to you yet? How many of you glad? How many of you are glad that God didn't say, well, I went to him once? Well, I mean, I did it once. I showed them that they were a sinner. I showed them that they needed to seek me for forgiveness. They said no. Sorry. Is that the way God forgave you? Is that the way God treats you? And we are called to forgive like He forgave us. Let's do a couple more. God requires no probationary period to receive His forgiveness. We often make the person go through a period of probation to make sure they are worthy of our forgiveness. I'm going to forgive you, but i got to make sure that you really mean it first. got to make sure you're really sorry. i got to make sure you're really not going to do this again. And then when, when, when they've adequately reached your standard, then you will grant them your forgiveness, all great sovereign Lord that you are. Do you see that's not at all the way God forgives us? It's not at all the way God forgives God forgives completely with no, for, with no probation. God's forgiveness offers complete restoration and honor. We feel we should be complimented when we merely just tolerate those who sin against us. When God forgives you, He completely restores you and again makes you His child. We act like we should have a parade thrown for us just because we don't cuss somebody out and punch them in the face. Like, oh, you should have seen what I would have done 10 years ago. Wow. Aren't you awesome? That's not forgiveness. And I know this is hard. 
But this is the point. Do you see how radical God's forgiveness is of you? This is the whole idea why he says that in verse 14. You're supposed to soak up and realize how radical and audacious and scandalous and crazy God's forgiveness is of you. That's the point. Do you realize how unbelievable God's forgiveness is of you? That's how you now forgive. That's the whole idea. And then, lastly, once having forgiven, God invites us back to work with him as co-laborers. We often never trust someone who has formerly wronged us and want nothing more to do with them. I forgave them. I don't want to see them anymore. I don't want to deal with them anymore. I don't want to interact with them anymore. I don't want to be around. No. No, 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 but don't get me wrong. I've forgiven them. Yeah, see, I just don't think you have. I just don't think you have. Now, let me say this. I am not saying that all situations and circumstances can be painted with a broad brush. I'm not, I'm not, that's not the point of what I'm trying to make here. I understand that in every situation in this room, there are very unique circumstances and situations that make it different than another. I totally understand that. I totally understand that. What I am needing you to understand, though, is your situation is not listed as a footnote at the bottom of your Bible. And your name is not in parentheses when it says, forgive like you have been forgiven, except if you're Bob, because I know like that was really hard. It doesn't say that. Forgive like you have been forgiven. See how radical that is? How extreme that is? But as we do this, as we live this Christian life out, that's how we go. How are you going to grow in the Christian life? How are you going to take off like a rocket ship in Christian growth? You forgiving people like that. You forgive people like that. And I'm going to tell you something. I mean, you're going to be able to charge the gates of hell with a water pistol. You are going to be a giant in the Christian faith. You are going to explode in spiritual growth. Because the primary way God grows you spiritually and manifests out the fruit of his life in you is how you interact with people, how you deal with people. Compassionate, kind, humble, gracious, meek, forgiving them just like they've forgiven you. That's who we're called to be. And then verse 14 kind of wraps this whole idea up says, and above all these put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. The idea is that, that love is the thing that wraps all of this together and makes it possible. F- setting your heart and understanding God's amazing love for you, and as a result of God's amazing love for you, the amazing love that he now allows you to pour out onto other people. The, this love is above all and in all and wrapped around all. Seeing the love of God and knowing the love of God and being changed by the love of God empowers you to live this out as you interact with other people. How do you grow in the faith? How do you grow as a Christian? Number one, 
You must actively pursue it. you got to put this stuff on. You have to today decide, I'm going to grow in the faith. I've been saved and redeemed and made holy and been made righteous and I'm loved by God. And as a result of that, I'm going to chase Jesus. I'm going to wrap myself in the life of Jesus and I'm going to pursue him with everything that I have. And one of the primary ways I'm going to do that is through relationships. I'm going to love people that are hard to love and I'm going to forgive like God forgave me and I'm going to be compassionate towards them and really care about their heart. I'm going to be kind towards them. I'm going to be patient. When I want to dig out from underneath, I'm going to wait and trust God in this relationship difficulty. I'm going to see God glorified in my relationships. That's how I'm going to grow in Him. And then third, I want you to see this. So here's the third way that we grow. We need each other. We need each other in order to live transformed lives. Look at 15 and 16. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. All right, so a couple of things I want you to notice in 15 and 16. So first, look at the two verbs there beginning those sentences, all right? Verse 15 is going to say, let the peace of Christ rule. Verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. So the idea of the the supernatural peace of God ruling and controlling and reigning in your heart. The word of Christ dwelling in you richly. Not just things that you know, but in your heart living and meditating and growing richly and deeply and profoundly is transforming you and changing you. But there's a second thing I want you to notice about these two verses. Look at them again, 15 and 16. 15. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Circle the word your And then verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, circle the word you. Here's what I want you to notice, something that you may not pick up in your Bible. That word, you were in verse 15, and you in verse 16 are plural. In your English Bible, in in English, it's a little more difficult to kind of express that. but, But in the Greek, they're plural, right? This is why, on for those of you that aren't from the South, this is why on the eighth day, God created southerners all right because we help you right we gave you nascar and banana pudding and help you understand greek okay we all know southern grammar right one is you two is y'all three or more is all y'all right and so verse 15 and 16 right what it's going to say actually right And you can just write this out in the side of your Bible. God will be okay with it. Let the peace of Christ rule in all y'all's hearts. And then in 16, let the word of Christ dwell in all y'all richly. Here's what it means. Again, what I was trying to say earlier. We didn't get this idea that Christianity is this deeply personal and private thing. And yes. But at the same time, no. Right? Um, Christianity is more football than golf. Right? It's not you just going out trying to do your best. It's you're in a team. And if all 11 guys on the field don't pull together, you're not scoring a touchdown. Right? Doesn't matter how fast a running back, is, running back is, if the guys up front ain't blocking, it ain't happening. It's a team. 
Same thing with this. In order for you to grow deeply, you need the body of Christ. So look at verse 15 in light of that being plural. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. The word rule is umpire. It literally means this is the, the person who calls balls and strikes safe and out. And the idea is we're one body. That's what verse 15 says. We're one, we're together. And as one body together, Jesus Christ in his perfect, supernatural, eternal peace gets to be the one to call balls and strikes as to whether or not you get offended. So now, when someone inside the body of Christ does something to you, you don't get offended just because you think you should. Jesus and his peace is now the one that determines whether or not you can get upset about that. He is the one that determines whether or not you can get mad. He is the one that determines whether or not a conversation needs to be had. Jesus does that. I can't count the amount of conversations. That should have just been love covers a multitude of sin. Just go home. Just forgive it and go home. Forget it and go home. And if the peace of Christ was the one ruling in us as a body, the peace of Christ is ruling, determining, yes, you should be upset about that, or no, you should not be upset about that. Go home, pray for them, forget it. How different would the relationships inside church be? If Jesus was the one that determined whether or not you got to get upset and not you. You don't get to make that call. You're not the umpire. You don't call balls and strikes. You don't determine if that person was safe or that person was out. Jesus in his peace does that, not you. So now you just have to fall on his grace and trust him. Listen, I know... Again, this is why the body is so important. We need one another because as you come together as a body, there are going to be more and more and more opportunities for you and I to be offended with one another. It's going to happen. I know some of you, you started coming to church because you thought, that's the one place no one's going to hurt my feelings. Oh, sweetie. (sighs) Sweetie, I really wish that was true, like with all my heart. But it's just not. It's just not. You're going to have ample opportunity to get offended and ample opportunity to get upset and ample opportunity to think, I'm right and they're wrong and this, this, and this, that, and we need to call the pastor. We need to... How different would it be if just the peace of Christ ruled our hearts? He calls balls and strikes, not me. He determines who's safe and who's out, not me. And so I just say, Jesus, I pray that your peace rules in me. I want your supernatural peace to rest and abide in me. And I don't have to get offended because somebody did a thing or didn't do a thing or said a thing or didn't say a thing. I don't have to get upset about that. I don't have to hold that. I don't have to do anything like that. I can just love them. And as we do that, that's how we're going to, again, grow in the Lord. And then you get 16. What's the second thing that we're called to do together? Let the word of Christ dwell in all of you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. So the idea is that we are allowing God's word to not just dwell in our individual hearts, but in us as a body. 
God's word just dwells here and lives here and abides here so that it's not just me standing up here talking or your small group leader leading something. We're constantly with one another encouraging and pointing to God's word. Listen, if you go to anyone inside this church and ask them for advice and they do not reference God's word at all, walk away. Walk away. You have You have my permission. Walk away. Because the, the word of Christ is to dwell richly among us. It's to be the air we breathe. It, Jesus himself said, man does not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. This is literally our sustenance. This is all we've got. Listen, God, the sovereign God of the universe, chose to reveal himself to you in a book. You should probably read it and live it. It should dwell in us richly and as it does dwell in us richly it says two things are going to happen we're going to teach one another and admonish one another the word teach means to kind of impart knowledge and say hey here's the path to walk down right admonishing is a little different admonishing is a warning admonishing is um okay uh, teaching is here's the path let's walk the path admonishing is okay you have jumped the curve and your life is in the ditch And you need people who love you enough inside this church to come to you and say, bro, I love you, but your life is in the ditch. Like, this is not okay. We've got to get you out of here. I love you. I'll I'll walk with you down this road as long as I need to, but we got to get you back on the path. If the word of Christ is really dwelling in us together, that will be happening. Right? And that's how we're going to have spiritual growth. I'm encouraging you, and you're encouraging me, and we're encouraging them, and we're all encouraging her. We're all seeking to have the Word of Christ dwell in us richly and deeply and profoundly, teaching and encouraging and admonishing one another over and over and over again so that we're all growing in Him. And then what happens as a result of that, verse 16? We're going to be singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. We're going to worship God. We're going to worship Him. The more we grow in the Lord, the more we're going to worship Him. The more we're going to adore Him. The more you're going to enjoy singing. One of the marks of a healthy church is how well they sing. And I know it can be a little weird, right? I mean, there's no other place in your life where you're just like show up and like, hey, let's all sing together, right? That doesn't happen, right? You're not going to show up to work tomorrow. You're in staff meeting. Your boss walks in. It's like, all right, um, before we begin, I want everybody to stand. We're going to sing together. Sweet Caroline. All right, guys in the back, I want to hear the bop, bop, boss. Let's go, everybody. It's not going to happen, right? We're the only place in your life you're going to show up and someone's going to ask you to stand and sing publicly, and it can feel a little weird. You can like, ah, it's not really my thing. It's not a, I'm not a really a singer. <laughs> I get it. I, I would not classify myself as that either. But here's what I want you to see, and here's what I think we see with the Scriptures. As we're growing in the Lord, as we're maturing in the Lord, there's a, now, it's not always this for this. I mean, there are a lot of people that sing really loud that, that live like the devil, right? So I'm not, there's not a this for that. But what I would say is this, as a general rule, the more I see someone growing in the Lord, um, the louder the volume they sing. 
And I know that's purely anecdotal, and, and you're going to come to me and go, that's not true. I love Jesus, and I don't sing. I'm a mime. Like, I don't know. Like, whatever. I'm mime for Jesus. Great. That's awesome. You don't have to send me an email, okay? I'm just saying, as we grow in the Lord, we're going to want to worship Jesus, and a part of doing that is singing his praises. It's just a thing we do now. It's just a thing we do now. So look at verse 17. It kind of sums everything up, all right? Verse 17. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And everything that you do, in word or deed, in everything that is all-encompassing, do what? All for the glory of God, giving thanks to Him. Do everything in the name of Jesus, giving thanks to God for who He is and what He's done. So what does it mean to do everything in the name of Jesus? It means in everything that you do, you see that it's for His glory. So you live all of life putting on the life of Jesus. You live all of life loving and caring and forgiving people because He's done that for you. You live all of life seeking to encourage one another and be at peace with one another and, 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 and share God's Word with one another because He's so changed you and gripped you. You want to do everything in His name for His glory. It changes everything. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads for me. And, and as, we, as we wrap up here today, we're going to sing together living sacrifice. And as we sing this song, the idea behind the song is that, again, everything is in the name of Jesus, for the glory of Jesus, for the purpose of Jesus. Everything is for Him. And so my whole life is just a sacrifice. So for you today, as we sing the song, I want to ask, do you live every day wrapping yourself in the life of Jesus, consumed with Him, seeking Him, wanting Him, desiring Him, and whatever that might mean for you? Does that life in you manifest out with other people? Is there anyone that you need to forgive? Is there anyone you need to forgive like God has forgiven you. And what about this body? We need one another. Are you quick to get offended by somebody in this room? Or do you let the peace of Christ rule that? He calls the balls and strikes. I don't get the right to say when I'm offended. Do you impart wisdom through God's word with one another, encouraging one another, and point one another to God and his glory? As we do this, we're going to all together rise up in powerful, unified Christian growth. It's going to be amazing. So, Lord, I pray for us here today that we would just seek to do, as verse 17 said, everything in your name, Jesus, for your glory, giving thanks to you, God, for who you are, what you've done. We need you. 
If there's anything in my life that I'm not doing in your name, if there's anything in my life that does not bring glory and honor to your name, I pray God you'll show me that right here, right now. And I will be a living sacrifice. I will lay that down and say, Jesus, that's yours. Forgive me, I repent. If there's anything that you're calling me to do, anything that I'm to step out, that I'm to do, I pray, Lord, that you would show me that and I will step out and do that. And I pray, God, for everyone else in this room, you do the exact same thing. Make us living sacrifices for your glory. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. I'm going to ask all of you to stand. Our band is going to lead us. We're going to sing. You're welcome to come up front and pray. You can pray where you are. You can just sing, whatever you'd like. But I want to encourage you, let these words resonate in your hearts. You are a living sacrifice. Live that for his glory. Let's sing.
by your Holy Spirit that you would empower every single believer in this room to take up our cross, to live like this, to die to self, that these things wouldn't just be words on a page, these wouldn't just be suggestions, but these would be commandments that we would hide in our hearts and we would be changed because of these things. Cause us by your great mercy and by the word of your truth to walk closer with you that our lives would model that of Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Lord, we love you and we thank you for these times together. Thank you for these truths that are preached. We thank you for your son, Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. God bless you guys. Don't forget to come next weekend. We're going to have a fantastic weekend. Hope to see you there. You guys have a great week. Sure.